What would life look like if our good intentions were inspired enough, empowered enough, and challenged enough so that all those dreams became real, tangible good in the world? On Practice Good Podcast, you will find authentic stories, challenging conversations, and real responses that will inspire, empower, and challenge your social impact journey. But this isn't all. Good business and good programs and good social enterprise are only as good as the health of their leader. And on this podcast, we will pay special attention, not only to the good that we give to the world, but to the good that we live within ourselves, our soul care. Welcome to Practice Good, a podcast for changemakers. I'm your host, Shiloh Kashima, practitioner of good, pastor, and mom of two spicy Nigerian littles. Get ready as we turn your good intentions into positive change. Welcome back to Practice Good. This is Shiloh here and we are so excited because we're in the new year 2021 and we have someone here with us today that is perfect for the new year. Thane Marcus Ringler is a former pro golfer. He's an author. He's a motivational speaker and a personal development coach. And we are so excited to have you here today, Thane. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Shiloh. It's it's great to be with you and to kick off this new year in fashion and style um, as we just try to learn how to live a good life and do good in the world. So I love your mission and what you're about and grateful to have this time together. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us. So as you know, we are a podcast filled with change makers, people who are believing that what they're doing is making a greater difference in the world. And I can see that all over everything you do. So I cannot wait for you, for you to share with us a little bit more about all the things you've done. You've got a couple of books out, you've got some courses, and you've got this incredibly rich history of being a professional golfer. So tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, you know, thank you for sharing that. It's it's something that doesn't happen overnight. And usually it's just one step at a time. And it's a different path than we ever expected. That's often how life works. And that's true for me. I played golf my whole life, as you mentioned, and it turned into a professional golf career for about four years. Uh, and, you know, it was a career where I had a lot of talent, but I wasn't able to optimize or maximize that talent in my performance. Uh, and a lot of that was due to uh, a lack of mental toughness or, or discipline. And so the early years of my career were spent on growing mental discipline, mental toughness, how to overcome my own limitations of my mind so that I could maximize my performance on the course. And the second half of my career was really defined by uh, injury physically wise. So overcoming my physical limitations. And I had a muscle strain on my left rhomboid that sidelined me five times over a year and a half, which really was a frustrating and a pretty brutal stretch where I didn't know if I'd be able to play pain-free golf again. Uh, I'm so grateful that today I can. But through that time, my interests were definitely diversifying. Um, and I was doing a lot of self-discovery just as much as I did physical discovery of how I could heal my body. And what I realized after those three and a half, four years, when I reevaluated and sat with the question of who have I been created, equipped and called to be, was that I, I, I realized I could be more effective outside the world of golf than within it uh, for producing the change and the good that I hope to produce in my life and in those around me. Um, and so I decided to pivot. 
um, into a new path and new trajectory. And, and that was scary and hard. And we can get into some of that. But uh, anytime you do something your whole life, it's it's very hard to leave it and leave it as a quote unquote failure. I didn't accomplish my goal of reaching the PGA Tour. But what I did learn was a lot about myself and a lot about how we develop as humans. And so the last three to four years have been really about taking those lessons learned, um, really deciphering them myself through the books and the speaking I do and um, and then sharing that with others in the coaching practice I do and, and coming alongside others with that and helping myself and others really lead ourselves well. That's what I've kind of centered on is self-leadership because if we can't lead ourselves well, then there's no way that we can lead others well, at least not sustainably. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's so good. I know I was an athlete growing up too. I played six and a half hours of basketball a day in high school. (laughs) And I feel like I learned some of my biggest life lessons during those times. Tell us about some of the lessons that you learned in your golfing career and how that has translated over into your career today. Yeah, you're 100% right that sports just are a great arena for development, especially as younger humans. We we learn so much about life through this arena of sports or any performing art, really, uh, trying to practice a skill and a craft and get better at it. And I think a lot of that's due as kids. We don't want adults to tell us what to do. But if it's in the vein of a sport or something we're interested in, then we're much more open to receiving instruction and feedback. And, and that's definitely true for me. And, you know, golf has taught me so much about life. Um, And I think having a parallel field like golf or another sport or other activities we're into helps us gain perspective on what we experience in daily living. You know, golf, it, one of the key things that it taught me is that uh, if I'm going to succeed, I have to take 100% ownership of all the results. There was no teammates to blame. There's no referee to pass off um, excuses to. There's no, you can't blame the weather because everyone's playing in that. You just have to own up to the results that are produced, uh, both the good and the bad. And as you get older, you quickly begin to realize that there's a lot more failures than successes. Uh, you know, as a kid, I oft- I actually kind of trended toward the sport of golf because I thought I could control all the outcomes. And because I was kind of naturally talented, then I didn't have to depend on anyone else for my own success. Um, and as a kid, that's kind of foolish and ignorant. But as you get older, you realize um, you have to own up for all the failures. And there's a lot more of those in the game of golf. Wow, that is so good. I'm in this leadership program right now. We talk about not taking responsibility, but being responsible because this idea of taking it is almost like it wasn't yours to begin with, but the reality is it is yours and we create what is Mm -hmm. around us and the reality in which we live. And so that is so powerful, just owning, you know, everything in our lives. Can you unpack this idea Mm -hmm. a little bit of like ownership of, you know, the outcomes in your life and how that could translate into really helping us stay committed to things like our goals and our desires, especially for change makers to want to create things that change the world and make a bigger impact on those around us. Yeah, it's so important. And I love that you asked that question because if we're going to be people that create change in the world, we have to first be able to create change within ourselves. And that always starts with ownership and responsibility, as you mentioned. Now, the thing about, I I believe about ownership, 
it rests solely on the idea or the practice of self-awareness. If we can't, there's a quote by Chris Fuertz who said, if you can't self-observe, you can't self-correct. So if we're going to steer ourselves well, if we're going to be good leaders of ourselves, if we're going to be able to take ownership of what we need to take ownership for or, or have ownership, as you said it, um, then we must be able to see the things in our life that we need to be owning, right? And, yeah. and alongside that, when you see the things, more importantly, that we aren't taking ownership of. Right. Um, and so self-awareness is a vital piece of that. Um, and it's something that, you know, I, I think a lot of people hear the idea or the word or the phrase self-awareness and it's thrown around a lot and there's a lot of buzzwords or hype around it, but very rarely do we actually sit with it to understand, okay, what does this mean and how do I practice this? Um, and I think it's a lot simpler than, than we would imagine, but that doesn't mean it's easy to do. It still takes work. And, and simply put, I, I believe it's something that we do um, in a, a threefold process. And there's three primary tools that help us with that. And the threefold process I like to share is that it's, um, it's looking back, um, which is I like to call retroactively. Uh, looking at the present, which I call actively, and looking at the future, which is proactively. And I, I like to phrase that as discovering, understanding, and then optimizing. Um, and we do this process to understand ourselves better and how we do what we do and why we do what we do in certain situations. And then the three primary tools that I think really um, can catalyze a lot of this process are simple things such as the first primary tool is journaling and reflecting, sitting with a pen and paper and looking back and processing and understanding um, through journaling and reflecting. The second is uh, feedback, having someone in our life that can give us more objective feedback into ourselves and our actions and our situations in our life. And the third is meditation. It's becoming more aware of the present moment so that we can become more conscious of the ways that we are reacting or being proactive in environments. Um, and so I think like just understanding a simple process of saying discovering, understanding, then optimizing and understanding the simple tools that we can use gives us a lot of empowerment to take on this year and say, hey, this idea of self-awareness is no longer just an idea. I know I can take action on it. And here's what I'm going to do to start moving forward. That is so powerful. I think even as, you know, I'm thinking specifically of like nonprofit leaders and how we put a huge focus on like program evaluation, which is essentially our unbiased feedback that we're constantly getting and really applying that to our own lives and how feedback is neutral. We give it meaning. Mm -hmm. We decide how it's going to impact our lives. And that is so, so powerful, especially you know, moving forward in 2021, we've had a hard year last year, mm -hmm. but we get to decide the meaning of that. And we get to decide the meaning of all of the feedback we've received throughout the year from our family and friends and people that we've essentially spent so many hours with because of, you know, being locked in our homes and all of these things. Mm -hmm. So that is so powerful, that idea of self-reflection. I know that you have like you have a course on this, right? You actually have a couple of courses, one on self-discipline, gaining discipline, and, and one on self-reflection. Tell us a little bit about those and what are included in those, what people learn and how they might grow from those courses. Totally. You know, it's, it, as I've mentioned, you know, I, I'm all about self-leadership and over the years of trying to 
um, instill this in myself and in others. I, I think the two core competencies of leading yourself well are discipline and self-awareness. And so if we can really embrace and learn how to develop and grow in both self-awareness and discipline, then we can better lead ourselves and then better lead others and create the change we wish to see in the world. Um, so it's a foundation that we're building. And these two courses were uh, are just putting structure um, and practices in place that people can be empowered to move forward on that journey. They're not the most complicated things, but but to have an understanding of the ideas through the, the communication and the lessons, and then to be able to put that into practice through the exercises. And they're both eight-week courses. So doing that over eight weeks time will really instill this within us in a deeper way than just saying, okay, I want to become, I want to become self-aware. I want to become disciplined and I'm going to try this thing. And, and a lot of times, you know, the problem that we all face is a lot of times we put impossible expectations on ourselves. <laughs> we yeah. say, I want to be this uber disciplined person like Jocko Willink or name, fill in the blank, you know, right. whoever we think is really disciplined, I want to become them. Uh, and we put too high of a bar to where when we don't reach that bar, we feel more shame and guilt for being more of a failure or viewing ourselves as more of a failure. But in reality, if we could put improbable goals in front of us versus impossible, then we're reaching beyond what we can really grasp right now, but it's within our reach, right? If we keep stretching and growing, then we can reach that improbable probable goal. And so understanding the distinction between those two is really important. And these courses are um, probable improvements, meaning it's not impossible to improve. It's it's putting the structure in place and providing the guidance for that. And then the information that will encourage us with that um, so that we can make uh, that growth that's not impossible, but can be improbable at times when we're stuck in self-limiting beliefs or habits or our default way of living. Wow. That's really, really good. Um, let's like the, there, you know, we talked a lot about, um, self-reflection and then there's also, you said the second piece of just self-discipline and, and that really makes a leader able to lead themselves well. And that's huge because, you know, so oftentimes, especially for myself, like I look around and I, I notice a lot of leaders having, you know, some kind of big moral failures. I've seen a lot of suicides in the past few years. I've seen even a heart attack of an activist at age 27. And Mm -hmm. there's just so many things that for me, I'm looking at all of us as change leaders and going, Hey, we want to make a difference in the world, but we are leading outwardly better than we're leading inwardly. And this Mm -hmm. idea of discipline is so key and so central because discipline while hard is essentially our friends. And if we can make friends with discipline, then our ability to lead outwardly is going to be more sustainable in the long run. Can you unpack this idea of discipline and and how we could really start to begin to have some steps in that direction of self-discipline when we are a leader outwardly to so many people, but really it's important for us to start with ourselves first. That's really well said. I I love how you put that. And I I couldn't agree more in the sense that uh, we have to view it as our friend um, and embrace it as our ally and one of the beautiful parts of life. Yeah, I think where this stems from is most of us, we have a negative relationship with discipline that's formed from our childhood. If you think about as kids, a lot of times when we hear or heard the word discipline, it was in a negative connotation, meaning we were going to be disciplined or punished or have consequences for something that we did that maybe wasn't best. 
So right. this idea of discipline being negative or bad, this connotation comes, I believe, from our childhood most of the time. Um, and so a lot of it as adults is just recognizing, okay, when did I first start viewing this as negative or hard or not what I want? Um, and how can I reframe it as something that's beautiful and that's important and that's necessary um, and helpful for me in life? And right. I think that's the first step. So I love that you started there. And then with that, it's understanding um, how we get there and what it produces. And the how we get there is is smaller than we think, meaning discipline doesn't happen in leaps and bounds. It happens in daily persistent commitment to a, a step, taking a step. Usually it's a baby step, right? right? And we can take one step every day, but when we do that, we can travel a long distance over the year ahead because a year is quite a bit of time. If we just commit to taking a baby step that's attainable and the fruit that it produces, I believe is freedom. And if you think about this idea of discipline producing freedom, it's kind of counterintuitive. But if you think about something like a, a painting, a painting is only a painting if there's a frame and a structure for that painting to go into. Otherwise, it's just a color on a wall or whatever. Even a wall has structure to it, right? So right. a painting has to have a frame. And that frame allows a total freedom for that painting to be whatever it wants to be. It can be completely abstract with very hard to interpret, or it can be extremely clear and detailed and everything in between. And so that freedom of full expression is best done within the structure of discipline. And that's true in our lives just as much as it is with a painting. Yeah. Um, and so when we provide a structure for ourselves um, to not default, uh, be because I think it, the point of it is to say that if as humans, our default is to take the path of least resistance. Right. And so if we, if we just allow ourselves to default, we're choosing the easier path. We're defaulting to the path of least resistance, like water going downstream. If we want to go upstream, it always requires effort. We have to paddle and intention. We have to have a reason why we're paddling. Otherwise, we're going to stop. Um, and so with effort and intention, that is what discipline is. It's saying, I'm going to make efforts with a reason behind those efforts that aren't easy. I'm taking the harder path because it's a structure that will produce my best gifts for the world's greatest good. And that's the freedom of our, our full um, gifting and calling of our lives. So I think understanding that picture is really helpful for us to frame it in a positive light so that we can embrace it and do the work of moving forward in it. Yeah, that is so powerful. And it really makes me think about just I mean, right now we're in the middle of everybody's doing New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> and uh, I just read the other day, there was a study by Forbes magazine that said, on average, most people that drop their New Year's resolution drop it by January 12th. So here we are, mm -hmm. right? A few days away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, you, as somebody who studies personal development and uh, really professional development, um, what are some of the reasons that you really think that people really struggle with keeping their goals and keeping their intentions and their commitments? There's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into us. I mean, life does not automatically attach itself to our goals, our resolutions, or even our intentions. Right? We have to um, we have to maintain that, which takes work. It's a practice. It's a daily discipline in a lot of ways. And so when we approach a new year, it we we often um, I love the quote. I think Bill Gates said we we 
overestimate what we can do in one year and we underestimate what we can accomplish in 10. And I think that's so true in that a lot of times when we approach a new year, we expect more of ourselves than maybe we should. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet we don't understand that the process is much slower and longer than we usually initially think. Um, So it's a lot less sexy. It's a lot less like this overnight success or this magical transformation. It just looks like daily plotting forward, you know, taking one step after the other. And so when we, if we approach New Year's resolutions or uh, a brand new slate with that uh, mindset, we're going to set ourselves up for um, failure in the sense that we set the bar at a place we can't reach or we expected the process to be different than it is. So a lot of it is embracing that process understanding it's a a long approach and then choosing something that's attainable that we can take baby steps towards daily while still remaining attached and aligned to that goal or that vision. Um, And so when when we approach something like that, one of the things that I love doing is, is just simply a word of the year. I found a word of the year to be a really helpful tool in the sense that you can hold on to a word for the whole year and remember it pretty well. Um, and it allows um, you to project into the year with a theme and, and see the nuance in it. And it, it has enough flexibility to shift and change as the year approaches and, and comes through because all of us are horrible predictors. We just don't know the future. And, and we often put too much faith in our ability to predict the future. So we need to embrace the present um, and have maybe a theme or um, goals that are a little bit more flexible with the unknown nature of the future while maintaining the discipline of committing to a, a step every day and living with the intention and attach ourselves to that intention daily. That is so good. I, I'm i just thinking about your podcast, The Up and Comers, and even you have a little kind of saying on there, a slogan that says, living with intention in the tension. And that mm is so powerful because oftentimes we'll grab onto this idea of like living with intention or being committed to a goal. But as soon as the tension gets there, we drop everything. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you like, what do you recommend for people really who are kind of in this place of going, I was committed. I thought I was committed, but now all this stuff is coming up and it's harder than I thought. And, you know, and you kind of get into the, the every day of it. How do you really keep your vision and keep committed and keep hopeful and keep perspective in the midst of those hurdles, like in the day-to-day grind. Yeah. Well, we all face it. I think that's one thing to recognize is you're human, just like the rest of us. So there's no human that's immune to it. Uh, We are all facing that. Um, The other is to say that life is filled with momentum and it has a rhythm to it. And so part of it is recognizing where we're at on that rhythm, where we're at in that momentum of life. Are we coming uh, down from the mountaintop? Are we in the valley low and trying to climb our way out? Or are we just beginning our journey and beginning our climb with all the anticipation of what's to come? Each part of that process provides or, or requires a different focus or mindset or approach. Uh, and so by recognizing that it's a part of self-awareness as well is just saying, okay, maybe I am in a season where life is just dumping on me and I feel like I'm just trying to um, stay afloat. Well, that requires a different approach or mindset than, than if you're riding the waves and, and just surfing a massive wave and feeling like you're on cloud 10, you know? So I think just recognizing that there's going to be different approaches or mindsets needed for different 
seasons of the year or of life is really helpful for us to embrace it and use it for good. Um, And then the other with that is uh, this understanding of, you know, with, with the tensions of life, we, we have to, we have, have to start with kindness, I think, to ourselves of, of being kind and not beating ourselves up. Um, and, and once we can be kind and accept ourselves in those moments, and this isn't necessarily just to like say there's cop outs and taking the easier path. It's saying that in those moments when you feel like you're overwhelmed or you feel like you're not accomplishing your goals, it just it start with kindness of just saying, it's okay. That's where I am right now. I need to recognize that. And then I need to reattach myself to that vision, to that um, identity or uh, living with integrity is really just being who we say we are, who we want to be. And, and in the moments when it's hard is when that muscle is flexed or, or strengthened the most. And so we're going to gain a lot more strength by just doing the hard work of recognizing when we're in one of those moments and reattaching ourselves to that identity or to that vision um, and then doing the work to to crawl out of the hole or climb up to the next mountaintop. Mm, that is so good. I think, you know, with everything, you know, really the world has been through and then you've got change leaders who are, you know, again, constantly trying to see a better vision for our world and for our nation. And I feel like this idea of like keeping hold of the vision or even optimism seems to be a bit more elusive. It's harder for people to really grasp during this time. What are some ways maybe people can unlock optimism coming into a new year, not knowing what it's going to bring, knowing we've Mm -hmm. come out of a pretty difficult season, but we have the opportunity to create something great. What is you know, what is a great way to kind of unlock optimism moving forward in 2021? Yeah, I'll give I'll give two ideas here. One would be um, embracing the powerful uh, fuel of hope. I, I really believe that hope is an amazing um, fuel producer in our lives and that it can and it's always readily available for all of us if we would just take the time to look for it. Um, and a lot of that comes from just shifting or reframing our perspective. As you mentioned earlier, right, there's a lot of times that there's obstacles in our way and there's things that are preventing us from uh, accomplishing what we want. But we can also view those obstacles as opportunities to grow, uh, to get better, to learn something new, to to get more innovative or creative, to be able to pivot. Uh, so we have the ability to reframe our perspective that can create and engender hope within us that can fuel us to keep moving forward, even in dark times. Uh, and that's really why I came out and wrote the second book, Catalyst for Hope, because I I think there's some simple mindset shifts that can help us Mm -hmm. do that and help us really use um, hope and and catalyze hope in our lives. Um, And then the second one that I'd mentioned that's really practical is simply consume less. I think Mm -hmm. consuming of all types is what creates lethargy, and um, pessimism and and really negative um, feelings or outlooks on the future. And when I mean consuming, that could be food. But more importantly, I think it involves consuming social media. I think it involves consuming news sources. I think it involves um, consuming unhealthy conversations or relationships in our life. Um, and when we consume uh, and consume and consume, 
we have no energy left to produce good that we wish to see. Um, and it clouds our vision to produce that good. Uh, so I'm a big believer um, in that in America, especially and in our modern time, we are over consuming in all fronts of our lives. So creating disciplines and boundaries around what we consume and being more conscious and having intention behind that will really help us live with more hope because in the daily life, in the day-to-day of, of people next to people, right? And, and you know, pre-COVID, it was easier because we could have more human interaction. But even now, like, how can we see our neighbors? How can we see the person walking down the street and say hello and be a friend? Or how can we meet the need of someone that is in our daily life, not necessarily our virtual life? Uh, and I think that could really help us um, lean into the good that is out there and that is happening um, right in front of our eyes. That's so good. I was talking to a friend actually the other day, and she was saying how she had this season where she was just really struggling with depression. And um, she decided one day to create a vision board and less of a vision board and more of like a mood board. Like she printed things out off the internet that really represented what she valued in her life and um, what her intentions were. And she put them all together. And when she looked at it, she realized, I have this. I have all these things, but I've been living in the gap. I've been consuming so much that I haven't been realizing how much I've created in my life. Mm. And there was so much room for gratitude and thankfulness. And that's what helped her shift her mindset. Talk to me a little bit about like how you feel gratitude or, you know, being thankful, recognizing those, you know, like you mentioned, just a neighbor walking down the street. How does that help us shift our perspective when we're kind of in a rut? Yeah, it changes everything. You know, a lot of times our ruts, as you mentioned, are are often uh, because we're spending too much time thinking and focusing on ourselves. Um, and I think we all tend to do this. We all, I think, are somewhat inherently selfish. That's kind of our default path, right? Take care of my own needs, my own wants, my own desires. So again, choosing the harder path is usually caring for others, uh, putting others before ourselves. Uh, and I really think that that practice uh, produces intrinsic joy and fulfillment that can't be produced otherwhere uh, otherwise and uh, you know I'm I'm a Christian so a lot of that stems from my faith and and how God's designed us and and with the example that Jesus led in his life as a servant leader I think servant leadership is um, the model that is sustainable and ultimately successful. And we've, we've kind of gotten away from that um, in, well, kind of a lot, in a lot of ways. Right. And we yeah. all, we all fall into that. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is, uh, you know, gratitude, like you said, is, is a really amazing practice that we can do daily. And it does uh, unlock a ton of things. Dr. Joe Dispenza has a great book called uh, you are the placebo. And in that he really breaks down a lot of the biochemical process that happens within our body. When we practice things like gratitude and meditation, um, it can unlock and change physiologically a lot of things, which again, I think is God's design in that. Right. And and so it's a simple practice, but it can do so much. And one of the quotes I like sharing when I, anytime I, I share words is this quote by Bill Simon, who said, I was born on third base and thought I hit a triple. And I think that's, you know, probably true for a lot of people listening to this, including myself, mm-hmm. that I was, I didn't have anything to do with where I was born, uh, the, the body that I was born into the parents and the family I was born into the place, the time, the opportunities, 
those were given to me. I had zero, I had zero influence on that, zero uh, credit for that. And so what I've been given is way more than I've ever earned. Um, and so I want to operate out of a place of abundance of saying, look, I've been given so much. Now I want to give out of what I've been given. And that mindset, it, it doesn't happen every day, right? I have to work on that mindset because I can easily default into the well, this is what I need, or this is what I want. And this is my goal and my life and my world. So um, that reminder is really important for me. And I think it's helpful for all of us. And really, the, one of the best practices for me to help with that is a simple rhythm of watching a sunset. When I watch the sun set over the horizon, I realize how small and insignificant I really am, right? I am one of many billions on this planet. And we're all on this earth that's spinning and rotating around the atmosphere in the universe. And I am one little ant in that cosmos. Right. So stop thinking that you're more significant than you are thing is usually my self-talk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I think even on a, a, you know, like in my life, in a very practical level, I, um, you know, as a change maker, I am very forgetful of all the little things to celebrate, all the things to be thankful for. I'm easily always living in the gap of where I want life to be and, you know, the distance between here to there. And so often, I mean, that can be great because you you push for a better world, you push for a better self, but at the same time, you're not acknowledging the beauty. You're not acknowledging the gifts that you've been given as much. Mm -hmm. And one really practical thing, I think someone told me years ago when I was a child, um, well, child, I mean, probably teenager, because as a teenager, I felt God called me to be a pastor. And I just started soaking in like, okay, how do I do this? What is the best advice from people? And I remember someone told me something that was very practical, but it really changed the course of how I lived. And they said, every time someone says something significant about the impact you've made on their life, it will be easy to forget the next day because, you know, there's just a lot of hurdles when you're caring for people and reaching out to people. So write it down, put it in a little mm. box and have a box of encouragement so that when you have those down days and you need to sit outside and look at the sunset, you can pull out those things and remind yourself of the impact that you have made. And just having that reality there is so powerful in grounding us, not only in, yes, like, most days are filled with all the obstacles and the places that we want to be, but there's so many things to just sit and look at the impact and how to be grateful for, you know, everything around us and everything we've been given. And I love that analogy of like, some of us have been born on third base and we thought we, we thought we hit a triple. That's so, so good. Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. So Thane, if people are interested in really learning more about maybe getting coaching by you or really learning more about what you do, how would they go about um, getting more information? Yeah, well, I just want to underscore what you ended with there, because I, I really, I think that is such an underpracticed um, thing of celebrating our 
our wins or the positive feedback we receive and using those as affirmations. We need affirmations. We are usually our worst critics um, and we usually don't encourage or affirm each other enough. And and so I love that you, you have done that and that's a great recommendation. I want to do that more myself. Um, for people that are interested in, in, in learning more, thanemarcus.com is the headquarters for all that I do. We'd love to start a conversation with you if if the coaching sounds interesting or you're curious about the online courses or the books or anything. You know, I'm I'm here to, to connect and collaborate and, and hopefully encourage and empower alongside. So that would be the best place to find me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Shane. It's been such a fun uh, episode and I know it's going to start everybody off right in the new year. And it's been such an honor and privilege just to chat with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Shiloh. This was a lot of fun. What a powerful episode to start 2021. I don't know about you, but the whole time I was sitting there going, I need to have more professional athletes on here. I learned so much and I was so encouraged and I had some really tangible takeaways, not only for my leadership, but also for myself personally. And I know you guys did too. So make sure to head to iTunes, drop some stars, give us a review about how much this is impacting your life. And don't forget, shoot a screenshot, put it on your social media, let people know how much it's changing your life and share it with a change leader or two. If you want to get connected, you can find our Facebook group, Practice Good on Facebook. Just do backslash practice good. You'll find us there. I would love to connect with you personally. And in honor of the Changemaker Master Series just coming to a completion, we have a free gift for you to take home today. Go to changemakermasterseries.com backslash great speakers. Again, that's changemakermasterseries.com backslash great speakers. And we are going to give you five things great presenters always do. So enjoy that. Get connected on our Facebook group. And I cannot wait to connect with you next week.